You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Amen. Good morning. Stop. Stop it. Uh, good morning. My name is John Ludovina, and I'm one of our pastors here. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we are in a series called Jesus And. We are looking at Jesus interacting with different kinds of people in different situations that we might gain some insight on how Jesus might interact with us when we are going through different situations and when we are interacting with different kinds of people. And like Jenny said up front, uh, we are also hosting the series as family gatherings. So our elementary school students are in the room with us. So right up front, I just want to give a shout out to the kids. Kids, can you make some noise? That's what I'm talking about. Okay, I like that. How's, uh, how's your summer going? It's good. You only have about three weeks of summer left before school starts. So any of your big goals for the summer, you're going to want to get right on that. Uh, our message today is Jesus and the hurting, and we'll be looking at Jesus interacting with two grieving sisters in John chapter 11. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip there. And uh, as you're flipping to John 11, I will pray for us and we will get started. Uh, Father God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for how you redeem and restore. Thank you that you work in the midst of pain and brokenness and suffering and in our hurt, and you don't flee from it, but you engage us in it. For everyone in this room, wherever they are coming from, if they're actively in pain, if, if they've gone through seasons before, if it's a little more theoretical for them, wherever they're at, I just pray that in this morning through your word, that they would hear your spirit whispering to them and drawing them to yourself towards your goodness, your majesty, your glory, how you reign over suffering and how you work in it, how you are more near than we could imagine. We pray that all in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. John chapter 11, we'll kick it off in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So just a couple things to note in our setup for this story. Uh, the text is very clear that Jesus knew Mary and Martha, Martha and Lazarus. It says he loved them. When the sisters get word to him, they, they refer to their brother as the one you love. They appeal to his relational connection to them. He's been to their house before. He's eaten meals with them before. He's ministered to their family. This is the same Mary and Martha we see Jesus teaching in Luke 10. The text tells us this is the same Mary who anointed Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her hair. There's a closeness 
here. And these love friends of Jesus get word to him that their brother is sick. And not just like a little sick. This is not just a man cold. This is like seriously sick. He's very sick. And Jesus responds kind of weird. Does he not? The text literally says he loved them in verse 5, verse 6. So he waited a few days. Okay, Uh, that's weird because time is of the essence, Jesus. There's urgency here, but Jesus doesn't respond urgently, which we don't have near enough time because it's family gatherings and I'm supposed to go 25 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But seriously, we don't have time. If we had more time, I might camp in the fact and point, draw our attention to the reality right here that oftentimes in our pain and suffering, God's timing doesn't align with what we would like his timing to be. And sometimes that can be some of the most painful parts of pain and suffering. Anybody? Just me? Okay. I don't have time, so we'll just keep moving. But it is worth noting here that right up front in verse 4, Jesus says overtly, something bigger is going on in the midst of this story. This story, this sickness isn't going to end in death. It's about glorifying God and the Son of God. Which, another side note that we don't have time for, but I love when people are like, Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. Yes, he did right here. All right. So after delaying for two days, oddly, Jesus goes to Bethany, but Lazarus has already died. Skip down to verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Skip down to verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Skip one more time to verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, same thing her sister said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This story in John 11 is one of many times that we see Jesus interacting with the hurting, the grieving, those who are going through pain. And I would argue that that is very good news for us because the reality in the broken world that we live in is you are not going to make it through this life without interacting with pain. Amen? You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it through life without bumping into suffering and hurt and grief at some point. Some of you may be in right now or someday might go through seasons of deep hurt. And right out of the gate, we see that Jesus does not flee from that. He enters into it and he engages with hurting people. So kids in the room, don't shout this out, but I just want you to think in your heads, what's the most painful thing that's ever happened to you? Maybe you broke a bone Maybe you had a loved one, a family member who got really sick or they even died. You can, you can write that down if you've got something to take notes on while they're doing that. Adults, how about you? What are the most painful seasons or events you've gone through in life? Are you in one right now? Do you have one of those jobs where other people's brokenness and pain is just right in front of you day in and day out? Maybe you're a medical professional or a counselor of some type. 
Have you gotten to the point in life where you just kind of feel weary from the sheer volume of bad things that happen in life to you, to your loved ones, or just in the world around you in general? For Mary and Martha, they are going through the kind of pain that happens when someone you love deeply is hurting, and they are going through grief, specifically the grief of losing a loved one who has died. And I find it very interesting that the text paints the picture of Mary and Martha in their grief as a mixture of faith and other stuff. Faith and confusion. Faith and pain. Faith and hurt. Faith and anger. Faith and, here's what I mean. Both sisters tell Jesus, if you had been here, you could have kept him from dying. They both say the exact same thing. Now, on the one hand, that is faith. They know Jesus's power. They know his ability to have prevented their brother's death. They believe. Martha even says in verse 22, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, he'll do it. AKA, I don't even know how you could fix this, but I still think you could somehow. It's incredible faith. And there's some other stuff too, isn't there? Because in the middle of how they say it, there's faith and there's a bit of an accusation, it seems. Lord, if you had been here, aka, why weren't you? A little bit of a question, a little bit of an accusation. Why'd you show up late? Jesus, why didn't you stop it? You could have, I believe. You didn't. I'm confused. I think this is a very poignant picture of how we often interact with suffering. A mixture oftentimes of faith and other stuff. Faith and confusion. Faith and hurt. Faith and anger. That's very important for, for you as humans, whether you're a believer or not, for me as a pastor of our church, because without a doubt, one of the things that causes people to struggle with faith the most is the reality and the frequency and the intensity of suffering in their lives and in the world. When you have to deal with immense pain, especially for an extended period of time, it can become very difficult to believe that God is good and he's powerful, but why is he letting all of this exist? It's one of the biggest things that people wrestle with. And so in light of that reality, I would argue that it's vital for our faith, it's vital for your life, that you know how Jesus responds to people when they are hurting. And I want to look in this story at three specific responses Jesus has to these sisters in the middle of their pain that happen to also be three ways he responds to us in the middle of our pain. Three Big ideas for this morning. Number one, Jesus calls to us in our pain. He calls to us in our pain. You see this really clearly in verse 28. After Martha meets with Jesus, verse 28, picking it up in the middle of the verse, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher, that's Jesus, is here and is calling for you. You may want to circle that or underline that. I don't know if you caught this earlier or not, but Mary and Martha respond to Jesus arriving in two very different ways. Do you remember back in verse 20? So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Two different responses. Two sisters, same pain, same grief, different responses. 
Martha went out to meet Jesus. Mary remained seated in the house. Martha draws near to Jesus. Mary stays seated in her grief. We don't know exactly why. I'll I'll venture some potential guesses. Maybe Mary didn't come initially because she likes to process internally. Hashtag introverts. Am I right? Where you at? I have no idea what life is like for you, but keep it up. You're doing awesome. Maybe, maybe Mary didn't come initially because she wasn't ready to talk about it yet. You ever been there? I just, I don't know what to say. I don't know. I'm not ready to talk about it yet. Maybe Mary didn't come to Jesus because of her disappointment. I mean, she asked him to help, and in her view, he didn't. Maybe Mary's wondering if Jesus even wants to talk to her right now. I don't know, but whatever the reason, Mary is content to sit in her pain and not go to Jesus. Important note, Jesus is not content to let her stay there. Jesus calls to her. He sends Martha. Mary, don't just sit there alone in your suffering. Come to me. Bring it to me. Now, I don't know who all's in the room. It's possible that maybe I'm in here with a bunch of Marthas, and when you're in pain and suffering, just like naturally, instinctively, like so quickly, you just run straight to Jesus with all of whatever you've got, and you're like, oh, it's just as natural as breathing. It's like, Jesus, so glad to be talking to you about this. Here's everything I'm dealing with. Boop, no more anxiety, no more grief. It's over. I'm better now. Awesome. Maybe that's you. And if that's you. I am so happy for you. But just in case there are any Marys in the room, just in case any of you struggle sometimes in the midst of your pain to draw near to Jesus, just in case the confusion and the frustration and the disappointment ever make it feel like God is far away, so why would I try to draw near to him where it doesn't feel like anything's happening when I even try to do that? Just in case any of Y'all struggle to even be honest with yourself when you're angry with God and you don't want to draw near to him? Not me, but if any of y'all struggle with that, just in case, let me speak to the Marys in the room for a quick minute. I, I want you to know something that is true now and every single day of your life, Jesus is here and he is calling for you to come to him right now in the midst of your grief and your pain and your suffering. Whatever excuses you have to not do that, he's coming after you. He is calling for you. This is not just a one-off that I'm pulling out of a narrative story. This is over and over and over again in the scriptures. I'll point to one of my favorites that we reference quite a bit from Psalm 62, verse 8. The psalmist writes, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. This some interactive real quick. Trust in him when? At all times. Just the good times? No, the good times and the bad, the easy times and the hard, the clear times and the confusing. But I'm struggling to trust him, John. Yeah, pour out your heart to him. Pour out your heart to him. Um, kids, I'll just do this a couple times, but um, you know when like your, your family's at the dinner table and you guys like, one of your favorite things to do is like just knock over your cup all over the table for no reason at all? You know how that's like one of your favorite activities? Parents, I got you. Kids, knock that off, okay? Not a good look. But when it comes to our pain and our suffering, exactly what Jesus is saying to do. Treat your heart like that cup and pour it out. 
Don't hold anything back. Jesus is calling us to pour out our emotions. You sad? Come sad. You angry? Come angry. You confused, frustrated, disappointed, doubting? Come with all of it. Pour out your emotions. Jesus is calling us to pour out our questions. Jesus, I don't know why you let this happen. Jesus, why did this happen to me? Did I do something to cause this? Jesus, I don't understand. Bring your questions. Jesus is calling us to pour out our statements. Sometimes you don't have questions. Some of you, like, I'm a, I'm a rage in person. Some of you rage out. Good, bring your rage. God, I hate this. God, I don't, I don't know how to trust you right now. More than that, I don't trust you right now. I'm angry. Bring it. Bring your accusations. Can I say something that I really hope will set some of us in the room free just a little bit? Jesus is big enough to handle whatever you've got to bring. He's big enough to handle whatever you've got to bring. The deepest hurt you've ever experienced. He can handle it. He's big enough. Frustration. He's got you. Emotional mess that you can't even put into words. His spirit will literally pray what you don't know how to pray. wrong-headed, totally backwards, bad theological, heartbroken accusations of the sovereign God of the universe. He's big enough to handle it. It won't be the first time. You're not big enough to handle it on your own. So come to him. He's calling you to bring it all and pour it out. It's the first way we see Jesus respond to these two grieving sisters. He calls to them. He draws near to them. He wants us to draw near to him. Maybe that's tough for you to believe right now. And I would want to ask you, is it possible that you being here in this room right now, hearing these words could be evidence that Jesus, son of God, is calling to you right now? Maybe not. Maybe so. Definitely so. That's our first point. Jesus' second response is one of God's character attributes that I find the most incredible. Number one, Jesus calls to us in our pain. Number two, Jesus hurts with us in our pain. Jesus hurts with us in our pain. We're going to pick it up where we left off in verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, right? She's wrecked with emotions. She falls down, can't even look him in the eyes, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's overcome with emotion. You could have stopped this. How does he respond? Does Jesus rebuke her? Does he correct her bad theology? No, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. I want to emphasize those two phrases at the end there. He was deeply moved and greatly troubled. The Greek word translated as deeply moved is a word that's used to describe what animals do when they snort with fear and anger. Like, like a bull or... It's often translated as groaning. It's, it's a raw and emotional word. Jesus sees their emotion and he responds with his own emotion. The second one, and he was greatly troubled. Uh, it means to have your mental calm and peace disturbed. It's the same word you would use if there was calm water and you shook it and you made all these ripples in the water. You know, sometimes we think about your internal peace as being like still pool and then life comes along and just shakes it. 
Jesus responds to their pain with a groaning snort as if his internal water has been shaken and disturbed. Now think about this. Did Jesus already know Lazarus was dead? Yes. Yes, he did. Did Jesus already know how this story was going to end? Yes. Yes, he does. He already told us right up front. He told us this sickness wasn't going to lead to death, even though at least for right now it has. He told us the whole thing is going to glorify God and the son whom he sent. He knows exactly what he's planning to do. He knows exactly how miraculously the story is going to end. And still, when he looks on Mary's weeping, he snorts. He has emotional disturbance in his soul. He is moved in response. He chooses to hurt with her. He mourns with those who mourn. He allows himself to be bothered and disturbed by what was bothering and disturbing them. It doesn't always feel that way, does it? Sometimes in the midst of our pain, it feels like God is really far away and uncaring. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is near. There's not a tear you have cried or an ounce of pain you have undergone that he didn't see and that he did not care about. God is grieved by the brokenness of planet Earth and the human beings that he made in his image that he loves. Even though, guess this, this sort of starts to break your brain. Even though he already knows the end. Even though he knows he's working in the midst of the pain to bring good and the salvation of many people. Even though his theology never gets shaken like ours does. Still, Jesus is hurt by your hurt. Jesus is grieved by your grief. Jesus is pained by your pain. And historically, I think this is fascinating because every other king and self-proclaimed God in human history uses all of their power to stay as far away from pain as possible. Jesus laid down his power, his heavenly home to enter into our pain with us, to be Emmanuel so we would know forever God is with us in the midst of it. He hurts with us. Jesus calls to us in the midst of our pain and he hurts with us in our pain, which sets us up for Jesus' third response to these sisters in their pain. Number three, Jesus promises to end all of our pain. He promises to end all of our pain. If we had time, I would bring back up some of the timing stuff that I didn't have time to talk about earlier, but I don't. But he promises to someday end all of our pain. The conclusion of this story is dramatic and amazing and completely unexpected, even though Jesus hints at it and he predicts it. And plenty of you probably already know it, but try to act like you don't know it. Try to put yourself in this story where they don't know how this thing ends and feel what happens in it. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. So Jesus is standing in front of this tomb with a stone covering the opening. And there's that phrase again, he's deeply moved. He's angry, snorting. He's groaning with frustration at death and all of the pain and tears that suffering is causing these people he loves Bigger than that, all of the pain that sin has caused in the world. Look what happens next, verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. 
Now, unless you know how this story ends, that's the wrong thing to say right now. If you had been there, you'd have been like, nah, Jesus, that's a bad look, dog. Don't, don't do it. He's, he's tired. It was a long trip. He's, ignore him. I know that in part because it's exactly what Martha does, the practical, logical one. She's like Martha, the sister of the dead man, which the text is making sure he's not like partially dead. He was not partially sick. The sister of the dead man, he's very dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. We're not getting back into the timing thing. We don't have time, but he waited two days. Lazarus has been dead four. He was never going to make it on time. Okay, we don't have time. These people in this moment don't see how anything good is possible at this point. You ever been there in the midst of your pain? For them, the battle is over. It's too late. Jesus didn't show up. We asked him to. Here we are. Jesus sees the battle differently. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. They were convinced very easily. I just would have been like, nah, we're not doing that. But whatever, they they rolled it away. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I mean, I'm just, if I'm there, I'm looking at him sideways. Like, that's not, dead people can't do that, bro. The man who had died, dead, dead, died, came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Don't treat this like a Bible story. You've heard a bunch. Feel how incredible this moment was. I mean, in this moment, Mary and Martha's tears just dried up. In this moment, funeral to, I don't know what kind of party you throw right now, but smoked meat will be involved. Like that. They're weeping, thinking this battle's over, and Jesus, he sees a whole different knockout battle brewing title card fight, literally death versus life, darkness versus light, the curse of sin itself with every bit of pain and brokenness and sickness and death that it has caused in all of human history, toe-to-toe against the Son of God. And he's already told Martha earlier on how it was going to go. We skipped this verse earlier, but back in verse 25, Martha's suffering and she's told Jesus, you could have saved my brother from dying. And verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. It's one of uh, what are known as Jesus's great I am statements in the book of John. I find it fascinating that in that moment, Jesus did not look at Martha and say, it's okay, I'm your comforter. Although he is, 
I find it amazing that in that moment, Jesus did not look at her and say, it's okay, I am Emmanuel, I'm God with you, even though he is. That's not what he said to her, though. In that moment, he said, I am the resurrection and the life because he already knew how this story was going to end. He knew this showdown was gonna go down and he knew it was gonna point to something bigger. So at the climactic moment of the story, Jesus is standing in front of this tomb with a stone rolled in front of it and he tells him to move. He's, he's snorting, he's groaning, he's mourning, he's weeping and he looks death in the face and he rips it apart. Jesus knows, and he's showing Mary and Martha, I'm not just the Savior who calls to you in the midst of your pain. I'm not just the only God, the only one in power who would enter into my people's pain and suffer with them, but I am the one who will end all of your pain and all of all pain once and for all. And their brother, Lazarus, walks out of the tomb. Funeral's over. Weeping over. And maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, yeah, John, that's nice, but that hasn't happened for me. I'm just left sitting here in my grief, man. And I've been praying for weeks. I've been praying for months. I've been praying for years. I'm trying my best to bring my faith and all my other stuff to Jesus. And he hasn't ended my suffering. And I'm struggling in the middle of it. And if that's you, I get it. I really do. We don't have time this morning, but if we could go grab lunch or a coffee, man, we could trade stories for hours. Not in some kind of comparison. I'm just telling you, I know. And I need you to, uh, like, especially if you're in the midst of it right now, I need you to catch something about this story because the truth is, as incredible as this moment is, when Lazarus walks out of the tomb, that didn't stay incredible forever, did it? Like, he's not still walking around on planet Earth. He died again. His loved ones had to grieve him twice, actually. This resurrection was not the ultimate victory that they needed. They needed something greater, just like us. And thank God this wasn't the last time that Jesus had a showdown with death at a tomb with a stone rolled over. In fact, it was just a few days later that Jesus allowed all the sin and death and darkness and brokenness of this world to come crashing down on him in the cross. And like Lazarus, he even borrowed a tomb for a few days in the process. But on the third day, he defeated death, offering eternal life for all who believe in him and sealing a promise, down payment on a promise to be fulfilled that one day he will end all pain and all suffering and you can trust it even when you're not experiencing it now because you already conquered death once. We worship a savior who has an empty tomb that no one can find. The book of Revelation tells us how it'll end, that when all is said and done, like Mary and Martha, we will have our tears dried up. 
We will have our weeping turned to rejoicing. We will have our pain turned to gladness, not just for a little while, but forever. In this life, you will have pain. My hope, my prayer for you is as little as possible, but it's coming. And our hope in the midst of that pain is that you have a Savior who calls to you in it, who hurts with you in it, and who promises one day to put an end to all of it. And you better know that if you're going to persevere in the meantime.